welcome to the Nutrition Awareness Podcast, co-hosted by yours truly, Kate Richardson and Megan Pachekai. We're two registered dietitians here to make your life easier by debunking diet myths, sharing scientific information about nutrition, and keeping you motivated to reach your goals. We want to teach you everything we know by giving you real life examples of how we've helped our combined thousands of clients transform their lives, lose weight, and get healthy without having to go on another cookie cutter diet. On this podcast, we'll be giving you our best advice, strategies, and mindset shifts so you too can reach your goals using food and most importantly, enjoy the process. Instant gratification is the biggest lie we've ever been fed. Yeah, you heard me, it's a big fat lie. And on today's podcast, I'm gonna explain why. And I'm also gonna share with you tools to help you overcome day-to-day temptations as they relate to food. By sharing with you how this drive for instant gratification is actually feeding into a cycle of never-ending frustration and plateaus. This might not be a shocker for anyone, but I really want to go into detail about the mindset shifts that you have to make if you are sick of just running into the same wall over and over again with your health goals because you're giving in to instant gratification way more than you'd like. I first want to address the elephant in the room, which is that I'm so low today, and if you are a regular listener of the Nutrition Awareness Podcast, or you're one of our clients, you know it's usually Megan and I going back and forth, having a conversation about whatever nutrition-related topic that we are covering today. However, I'm solo. Megan's doing motherly things, and that's a priority. So I figured, well, I could not do a podcast, or I can go back to the OG days when I used to put out a lot of podcasts on my own. I much prefer conversational piece because they just flow and I like feeding off Megan's energy and I hope she feels the same about me. So that's just what to expect. It's gonna be me today. But I really took a lot of time to organize this information and make it informative for you. That way you're not only getting a lot of value from the episode's information, but also a little bit entertained by some of the stories I've collected from real life clients and myself. In fact, I'm gonna try to keep this episode condensed, um, short and sweet if you will, but it's going to motivate you and give you some initial steps to overcoming this desire for instant gratification. In fact, the inspiration for this episode has come from a conversation that I've had with about three different clients in the past week. One client from my daily accountability program and two of my in-person clients. And we were talking about instant gratification. And the truth about instant gratification is that you get this immediate dopamine hit and that's why you want whatever it is. Typically, the anticipation of whatever this reward is, let's say for the sake of simplicity, uh, we're talking about ice cream here. Just thinking about ice cream on your way driving to the ice cream shop, discussing with whoever you're with about what flavor you're gonna get, gives you a huge flood of dopamine. And if you're not familiar with neurotransmitters, don't worry, you don't have to know. Just understand that dopamine is a brain chemical that signals to our brain reward, and it's also very motivating. 
it feels really good to have a flood of dopamine. So you're on your way to the ice cream shop, you're like, yes, this is gonna be awesome. You get your flavor, they hand you the ice cream cone, you take your first bite and it's really good. It feels awesome, but it's not quite as awesome as perhaps the anticipation. Maybe if the anticipation was ranked a 10, this is like a nine, 9.5. And then the next lick of the ice cream cone is an 8.5 and then an eight. And then it just slowly goes down. And then after the ice cream cone, depending on where you are in life, whether you're working towards a goal or whether you really don't care about ice cream or not, you might feel a little bit sense of, you know, maybe dissatisfaction. Um, maybe you ate the ice cream cone past the point of fullness and you don't feel very good and you start to mentally beat yourself up. Maybe you have a neutral relationship with ice cream and food and you think nothing of it. However, the end of the ice cream cone or that eating experience is not as satisfying as the anticipation. Duh, right? But this is a really important thing to recognize because let's say that you're trying to, I don't know, decrease your blood sugars. You're trying to look better, feel better, have more energy, lose weight. And you consistently give in to this dopamine hit, this desire to get ice cream or get cake or get fettuccine alfredo and you allow yourself to get really swept up in that immediate phase of like, ooh, I want this, it sounds good, let's go, let's not even think about it, let's hop in the car, let's open up the Uber Eats app and order away. Afterward, you feel frustrated, you might feel guilty, uh, you might feel like you took a step back, you were making so much progress, whatever. This is the example, maybe to a bit of an extreme, of how instant gratification when repeated and going on in our life over and over again is a lie. Because what gratification are you getting from that? You're getting an instant feeling of yay, but it starts to go down. And you're not getting gratification, you're just getting a dopamine hit. And so if we can recognize how instant gratification plays a role in our life and how it's fun to be spontaneous and just go with whatever feels good, that should be the minority. And what actually brings us fulfillment, gratification, satisfaction, if you will, is living in accordance to our values and pushing past resistance to do so. So I'm gonna tell you some stories to better explain this point, but the main point I'm gonna drive home to you is how pushing through resistance by doing the hard thing actually makes your life that much better. It makes it that much more gratifying, right? I mean, just imagine a hard day of working in your lawn you're sweating, you're out there breaking your back, you're throwing stones, putting down mulch, pulling weeds. I don't know what you're doing. I don't have a yard, I live in an apartment, let's be honest. It feels so much better to come in from a hard day of work and have a glass of water and kick your feet up than it does to roll out of bed, wander over to your couch, put your feet up, scroll through your phone and drink a glass of water. It's not the same experience. You don't get the same gratification. So I'm gonna tell you the first story about my client. Let's call her Sandra. Sandra works as a nurse in the labor and delivery unit. She's one of my in-person clients and we were talking at our fourth session about how unbelievably stressed she has been ever since the Delta variant of COVID has just filled the hospitals. By the way, this isn't a podcast about COVID. I'm not gonna get into that but she was feeling really, really stressed because she's working at a hospital and there's a lot of work going on and she's in a labor and delivery unit. I can only imagine how on a normal day that's traumatizing, let alone when there's a pandemic. Anyway, 
working in a hospital, if you've ever done it, you know someone who's done it, you can bet your bottom dollar that that place is full of junk food. Patients love to bring in donuts and cake and baked goods to say thank you to the nurses. Lots of nurse managers or people on the floor like to bring in food or cater in lunch from places as a way to show appreciation. There's vending machines and of course there's cafeterias with pizza, burgers, pasta, you name it, sugary drinks, doesn't matter. And Sandra, this was one of the initial reasons why she had came in for an initial consultation at Nutrition Awareness because she was stress eating and emotional eating like crazy. She was at the hospital, she was being worked, um, and the schedules at a hospital, just for reference, are nuts. Like some nurses will have really, really slow periods and then all of a sudden they'll just be bombarded with patients and new admissions or curveballs. I mean, I'm not even going to go into how many things are just thrown at nurses, especially day shift. And they might not have any time to sit down and eat a snack or have a drink of water because they're just running around from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. By the time they do get a break, they're starving, they're stressed, and they're tired. And sometimes healthy lunches or healthy snacks just don't sound that appealing. So before the surge in COVID cases, Me and Sandra had about three sessions together and she was killing it. She was killing it. She was doing a great job of packing healthy things, managing the stress, eating her healthy meals. I mean, it wasn't easy per se, but it wasn't the same challenge because she was focused. However, when the surge came in, there was more patients. She was seeing a lot of things. She was having to come in more often. Her old wiring, her old response to stress started to rise up again. She was eating a lot of sugar in response to stress. And if she wasn't doing it at work, she was coming home and just raiding the pantry. And the interesting thing that we had to talk about just to help her refocus is this is the same pattern and you're finding a new excuse to go back to what's comfortable. Because eating healthy and bringing in planned healthy snacks and eating those when you want to go downstairs and get spaghetti and meatballs for lunch is hard. It's not comfortable and it's not what you're used to yet. It's not routine. It's not habitual. It's not second nature. So these old habits are coming up because it's comfortable and you're using the Delta variant. You're using the new stress at work. You're using whatever it is as an excuse to go back to what's comfortable. And I'm not, you know, poo-pooing on Sandra here. This is all of us in lots of different areas in life. I mean, we are humans. We are wired to want to be comfortable. And in modern day society, that's just the issue. Um, In fact, there's a really good book. I think it's by a guy named, I'll have to check. It's like Michael Esther or something, where he writes a book about comfort and the problem with instant gratification and comfort. Uh, I'll have to link that below, but it's really, really good. Anyway, she was talking about how she was like, I I just, I can't, it's so hard for me to want to just eat what I packed. I just talk myself into going downstairs and, and getting something from the gift shop, cookies, cake, whatever it might be. And we had to talk about how, yeah, there was this old and new resistance coming up from her, but by stress eating sugar and junk food, she was actually adding more fuel to the fire. She was feeling low energy when she needed to be high energy. She needed to be on her mental game. She was feeling more stressed out about what she ate on top of the stress she was already feeling. 
proving the point that, again, instant gratification is a lie. She got an instant dopamine hit, but overall she was less gratified. So she had to push past the resistance of wanting to eat the comfort food and repeat it over and over again. And we had created a few different tools that I'm going to share below to help her create some boundaries and do so. But it just took a lot of focus of saying, hey, I recognize and I'm aware that right now I want to go for what's easy and comfortable and tastes good. But I know that at the end of the day, I'm not going to feel good about myself if I'm eating donuts for breakfast and not eating my healthy lunch just because I'm so ravenous. Another example of instant gratification was my daily accountability client. So just a little background, uh, I call it DAP, our, our DAP program. Megan and I both have clients who do DAP and we talk to them every single day virtually on WhatsApp to hold them accountable to their goals. And I love DAP because I get a lot of insight on my clients' day-to-day habits and struggles and we can really dive deep to overcome them. So one of my DAP clients, let's call him Frank, he's got social anxiety. And this was something that was really, really linked to his eating habits, right? A lot of us recognize stress and anxiety doesn't always lead to the healthiest decisions if we're not conscious about it. Although I will say a lot of us, and me included, suffer from some degree of anxiety and it can be a really valuable tool if you use it wisely. But I won't talk about that in that this episode. If that's something that you're interested in, uh, shoot me a DM on the nutrition awareness Instagram, nutrition.awareness. I'd be happy to do an episode about using anxiety and stress to your advantage when it comes to health goals. But this specific client, Frank, he was using alcohol to cope with his social anxiety. However, like, like me, Frank wouldn't just stop at one drink. Like he wouldn't just like have a drink and loosen up or maybe have another one an hour later. It was more of like, okay, once the liquor is flowing, once he has a beer, floodgates are open. Um, in fact, he found himself pre-gaming social events, um, not even like rager parties, just random social events with small groups of people just to feel more at ease. He was using alcohol as a crutch and he didn't have an, you know, it's not my place to say if he had an alcohol problem or not. That's not what I do. But he did express to me how he had this desire to not drink as much because when he would drink alcohol, it never was just one or two drinks. It was usually three, four, five or more. And then that would affect his next 24 to 48 hours. This guy would be crushing it with his goals all week. Like, I'm not kidding when I say he would track everything. He was planning. He was just on it. But when he was hungover or when he was drinking, his eating decisions were that of a garbage cans, right? And it was just the catalyst to a lot of his backtracking. He would be really great for a couple weeks. He'd be making progress. He'd be feeling fit. He was feeling himself. And then something would come up and he would slide back into party mode. So he had tried a few different things to help him reel back. Uh, One of them being social isolation, which was not good. Um, He just said, I'm not gonna go to things anymore while I'm trying to lose weight. And that just made him feel a little bit more anxious and socially depressed in a different way. So we're like, "Eh, it's probably better to, you know, put that Put that, you know, put that um, tactic in the trial and error pile, specifically the error pile, and do something else. And I opened up the idea to him. I'm like, well, you know, why not just try going sober? Like, what's the worst that's going to happen? Everyone just points and laughs at you. No, that's not going to happen. And he was like, yeah, well, I'm anxious. Okay, like that's scary. It is. I I can't even imagine like showing up to whatever it was sober. And I was like, 
It's hard and it's not comfortable. But this is the example, that instant gratification of that nice little like ah, relief you get from alcohol is pouring into overall life dissatisfaction. It is not worth it. It is really freaking hard to show up to a party sober if that's not what you're used to. But you have to take that first step. You have to push through that resistance and you got to try. How about this? We had come up with this goal. I said, how about this? How about you don't drink before the party and give yourself 15 minutes there sober. And if you are sweating, if you're itching at the seams, if you are just about to pass out of pure fear, have a drink. Okay, just give yourself 15 minutes sober. And sure enough, he showed up to a dinner party with like eight people sober. Usually this would be something that would cause him a lot of anxiety. And he got comfortable after 15 minutes. Like he just had to introduce himself, kind of get past a little small talk. Once they sat down and started eating, he did not need alcohol. He passed on the wine. I couldn't believe it. He was being offered drinks, but he told me that he thought about the consequences and he thought about what he ultimately wanted to achieve and he had already made the decision that he did not want to drink and so he didn't. And the next day, he didn't have a hangover. He didn't feel tempted to hit up bottomless mimosas for the hair of the dog effect and he got a bonus workout in with his kids because he had the energy. And this is an example of just how those small moments of pushing past the resistance, things that might be easy for some people but hard for you, make a huge difference. In fact, success, in my opinion, is doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And whether that means starting something over and over again or following through with a plan over and over again because they compile. Those tiny little choices compile and they give you a result. They're little humps, if you will. And I think a lot of these are those small ones that we don't think about as often. I mean, if you think about like, oh, I'm gonna start a diet. Okay, not many people have a ton of resistance to that because it's just such a big general goal. And you can think like, oh, I'm gonna start a diet and you can gather all your materials and read all the books and it's kind of fun, right? There's some kind of like, woo, yay, I'm gonna start a plan. But it's the moments when you're in real life when push comes to shove, that pushing past that resistance gets hard. Here are some examples of pushing past resistance that I see my clients do and that I deal with too, right? I'm human. First is getting up off your butt to go grocery shop. That one's really hard for people. It's like Sunday, they plan to grocery shop, but they're tired. They don't want to do it. They have something else going on. Nope. Get off your couch and go grocery shop. Or Closing the pantry instead of grabbing a handful of peanut M&Ms when you recognize that you're not hungry. Putting on your shoes to go outside and walk. Maybe you're laying there and you're like, I really don't want to take my dog for a walk, but he's looking at you. All you have to do is just make that first step, put your socks and shoes on and go. And once you go, it's not too bad, right? Or saying no when your server offers you a sugary drink at dinner. Maybe you always order a soda and you have to just say no. Walking past the ice cream aisle at Publix. If that's a trigger for you and you're tempted to go down the aisle, just push past that resistance to turn your cart left and keep going. 
Maybe another one would be scheduling an appointment. Maybe you have a resistance to schedule an appointment with a dietitian or a personal trainer or some other healthcare professional because you're afraid of what's going to happen. Schedule the appointment and then show up and go. That's hard. It takes resistance, uh, or it doesn't take resistance. It takes um, a lot of willpower to push past that resistance. So here are some three practical tools that I've used with my clients. I've used myself to help you get a head start and really, really clarify how you're giving into instant gratification in your day-to-day life and how to reorient yourself to not do it. Because I think the narrative that we see a lot on social media is motivate yourself. You have to stay motivated or you have to stay disciplined or you have to use willpower. And while those are all good and well, I think they only work 20 to 30% of the time. What really matters is what works 80 to 90% of the time. I mean, how many times have you been motivated to do something and it feels really good, but then the next day you don't feel motivated to do it and you're like, why don't I feel motivated? And then you feel bad about it. Well, that's because motivation is a feeling and it's fleeting like all feelings. So you really have to change some of that internal wiring. The first tool that I love is getting really clear on your values and revisiting them daily or at least regularly. Now you're probably thinking like, Kate, getting clear on my values. Is this church camp? No, it's not church camp. I'm telling you that when you know what you actually care about and why you care about them, you can talk yourself into doing the hard thing in those fleeting moments a lot quicker. For instance, let's say at a conscious level, you know you value health, right? You're like, I value my health. You know you want to be healthy for your family and you understand the consequences of not being healthy. You know that it decreases your longevity, makes you feel like crap. You might not fit in your clothes the way you want to. You have low energy, blah, blah, blah. However, you may not be very close with that value or honoring that value because you don't regularly talk about it, reflect on it, or most importantly, embody it. Therefore, you don't think twice when you get that little pang of hunger on the way home from Target and swing through a Wendy's drive-thru for a chocolate frosty and fries. And then afterwards, you feel like crap. And you know that instant gratification wasn't worth it because you get home and your kids are wanting to play outside with you, but you just want to sit on the couch. And even if you agree to go outside, you'd rather just sit there on the bench and digest all that food and wallow in your self-pity. That instant gratification of 10 minutes of dipping that salty, crunchy fry in cold, sugary ice cream led to overall less satisfaction when repeated over time because you didn't align with your value and you missed out on some things that are more important to you. If you are doing that same type of behavior day after day, whether it's going through Wendy's drive-thru or sleeping in till 10 a.m. or choosing to order the french fries on the side instead of the vegetable, That's what gives you your life results, right? So what if you had reflected that morning on your health by means of journaling or talking about your intentions for eating with the day uh, or with your husband or your spouse over coffee in the morning? It would have been on the top of your mind and it would have made it easier for you to drive past the fast food place because you had fresh fruit and cashews at home, right? In fact, I think this is really valuable and and we lived it out in our own life. I wish Megan was here to talk about this because we did some value and purpose-based exercises the other day and it gave us so much clarity on our next moves in our personal life and nutrition awareness and even our health. 
um, because we really got to focus on the systems and the decisions that we needed to make. We have weekly meetings and we had talked about our values and we talked about how we're living them out or how we wanted to live them out. Here are some of my values. I listed creativity, purpose, health, compassion, learning, relationships and connection and service. And these values are really close to me and I'll be honest, I wasn't living a lot of them the way I wanted to. For instance, I see myself as compassionate. And when I recognize that I'm compassionate and I think about this all the time, then I start to embody it. So when the guy cuts me off in traffic, I don't flick him the bird. I think to myself, oh, poor guy, he's probably hangry. I hope he has some Ritz crackers in his glove box and so he can get a snack. So if you're listening to this, I want you to, well, not if you're driving, right? Not if you're like doing something, but if you are just sitting around, I want you to pull out a piece of paper or your phone's notepad, pause this episode and list out 15 to 20 of your values. Just brain dump them. And if you need help, you can Google ideas. So pause this episode, I'm giving you permission to shut me up for a minute. And once you get 15 to 20 values on paper, start back up again. Now that you have your 15 to 20 values on paper, I want you to go through and star 10 of the most important or immediate values to you. Once you've starred 10 of them, I want you to use a scale from one to a 10 to assess how you currently honor these 10 values. So on the scale, 10 is that you value them all the time, or not value them, you honor them all the time. And one is that you never think twice, they're really low on your priority list. So let's say you rank family a nine because you spend a lot of time with your family and you're feeling really connected with them. But then you rank balance a two because you are only spending time with your family and you're really putting off a lot of work and creative pursuits. So do that and then come back to this episode. Okay, now that you've assessed your values, the next step is for you to plan on how you want to honor these values so that their scores improve. So you need to ask yourself, how can you honor each value in your everyday life? What specific actions can you take, change, or replace? This is when this is so important because when you honor your values, you begin to feel really energized and capable that you can improve your life. And when you don't, you feel frustrated and wonder why you can't change. So let's say that you ranked balance a two. Uh, You can honor this value by scheduling time to work on your creative pursuits uh, between five and 6 p.m. So you shut off the work computer at five or 6 p.m. before the kids get home from practice you really take time to focus on some of your hobbies. Or if you ranked fitness at a five, you can commit to joining a group fitness class like F45 or joining an online community to offer you motivation. That way you encourage yourself to show up more often. So go ahead and list out some of the actions you can take for each value. Once you've done that, the last step is to revisit these goals daily or weekly. And I'm not going to lie, this is the hardest part. So having an accountability buddy to do this with you is so valuable. I recommend writing out your values daily 
or reading them, whether it's posted on your bathroom mirror or on your fridge. That way they are top of mind. And then weekly or bi-weekly going through and re-ranking how you are honoring these values. The goal is that if you are ranking balance as a two, every time you go back and re-rank, it will either improve or once you have it at a level that feels satisfactory to you, it stays the same. The second tool is to help you integrate these values and make them part of your identity. For this example, we're going to talk in the context of values of health, fitness, and nutrition, simply because this is a nutrition podcast, but really you can do this for a ton of different values, and I'll share a few examples. I encourage a lot of my clients who find themselves getting soft, I don't mean physically necessarily, but mentally getting soft and giving into a lot of their instant gratification and desires to start to adopt the mindset of a warrior or an athlete or a bad bitch, whatever empowers you to do the hard thing and not be so soft all the time. I know this sounds kind of weird, but I'm going to say it anyway because it freaking works. This is because you are a multifaceted, complex individual who is different in various situations. Yeah, you have a core personality, but in different environments, you're going to behave in different ways. You may act or speak a certain way at work compared to how you act or speak at happy hour. What you don't realize is that you can actually choose and modify who you are in situations to best align with your inner values and goals more consistently. So let's say that right now you valued wellness and peace, but you currently identify as the party girl on weekends when you're with your friends and that late night Taco Bell run after a crazy night at the bar is not serving the values of wellness and peace. You don't have to stay the party girl. You can identify as the designated driver or the homebody or the mom of the group or the girl who heads home by 10. I don't know, whatever feels more in aligned with wellness and peace to you. You don't have to be the same person you were last weekend. And if it makes other people sad, too bad, right? Your values are going to feed into your overall satisfaction in life and their problems aren't your problems. We'll talk about that in the third tool. So I'll share with you guys my arsenal of personalities that I like to embody in certain situations. And let me just tell you, this is not something to tell people on a first date because they're going to think you're crazy. They're going to be like, you have how many personalities? So save this until your significant other is in love with you because they're going to think you're nuts. But I'm already in love with you and I hope you are in love with me too so we can talk cool like this, okay? So here's a few of my personalities. Um, Sometimes I embody the lioness. She's my favorite personality and she comes out when I am at an F45 workout, when I'm in the gym, but also when I really need to get my keister off of the couch and get to work, even if I want to be lazy, 2 p.m. on a Wednesday. This is because I know I have stuff to do and if I don't exercise, if I don't move my body, if I don't get work done, if I don't feel accomplished, and I give into that instant gratification of just laying around and being like a sloth, then I'm gonna feel crappy at the end of the day because I value purpose, I value health, and I value achievement. And being that lioness really gives me that push I need to be all those things, to honor those values. 
And then I'd switch gears when I sit down to watercolor and I embody a creator. I'm not a professional artist or anything, but when I treat myself as such a professional creator, it really helps me get the motivation to sit down, refine my skills and and take my craft seriously and treat it with respect. Even if I'd rather watch Netflix, I know that really I value creativity and watching TV doesn't feed into that to me. So sometimes it's hard to get up and do those creative pursuits, but when I become the artist and I see myself that way, course I'm going to paint. An artist doesn't sit around and watch other people's art all day. They create their own. Or when I come into the nutrition office, the nutrition awareness office, I embody my sage archetype, which might be kind of weird, but if you look up the definition of a sage, a sage is committed to helping the world gain deeper insight and wisdom, and they serve as a thoughtful mentor or advisor. So right now, I've embodied both the creator and the sage by putting together this archetype, which not only feeds into my value of creativity, but also my value of compassion and learning. So thinking of your way yourself in ways in specific search situations or when you're in the pursuit of a goal can help you focus and lessen that resistance to take action. You're going to do that hard thing because it's a part of who you are in that moment. The lioness isn't lazy. The lioness doesn't talk herself out of the hunt. She goes and gets what she wants because it's in alignment with her values. I want to share with you an example I had with a client who used this. This was my third client. Um, He decided to think of himself as an athlete. And if you looked at him, you wouldn't think he's an athlete. He was significantly overweight, but he didn't let that get in the way of how he behaved because he had his eye on the prize. He wanted to be fit and lean. He wanted to be mistaken for an athlete. And he valued health and he valued hard work and discipline. But like a lot of us, he had trouble making those healthy decisions when push came to shove, specifically with food, which is what brought him here. In fact, he often found himself making little excuses to give in to instant gratification. I remember he told me he got into a disagreement with his colleagues at work over something really trivial, but he treated himself to fried chicken to feel better. Or one day he didn't love the workout uh, his trainer had planned. I guess his trainer sends him the workouts ahead of time. And he rescheduled so that he didn't have to do it. And, you know, even though he had committed to working with a trainer and he was, you know, what we would call a lifestyle athlete, he wasn't training like the for the Olympics or anything, when he thought of himself as an athlete, it forced him to stay on track with his goals. For instance, an athlete doesn't skip breakfast. He needs fuel. But the athlete also doesn't grab a box of Flosted Flakes. I mean, that's, that's pure crap. That's not going to fuel his sport. So my client, even though he wasn't a big breakfast eater, and if he was, it was usually something quick like sugary cereal, he would cook himself eggs with oatmeal and berries and power his day. And an athlete doesn't skip a workout because he doesn't feel like it. He knows that he's in training season right now. He's working towards a big weight loss goal, a big gold medal, if you will, and he has to challenge himself to get better with every session. And an athlete doesn't hydrate with Dr. Pepper because he sees it when he walks past the vending machine on a bad day. He continues to drink his water, even if he's craving that bubbly soda, because what's soda gonna do for his sport? So you can see that when you change your ideas about who you are, 
these flexible identities by adopting different archetypes to embody in specific situations, it makes that whole decision process a lot simpler. You're more likely to do the thing you need to do rather than talk yourself out of it because that's the character in which you are embodying's natural tendency. Is it woo-woo? Yes. Is it awesome? Also, yes. The third strategy is to create boundaries. Boundaries so strong, nobody could knock them down. If you are letting other people tasks or perceived priorities with the illusion of instant gratification, get in the way of you pushing through your resistance and living true to your values, you got to put up some structure, you guys. You have to create boundaries in your life. And this can be done in many different ways. First off, I want to speak to the people pleasers out there because you are me, I am you. I'm an only child. I was raised as a quote unquote good girl. I am people pleaser to the key or to the T. And this is done, I've done a lot of internal work to help me get over this. And I know how hard it is to say no. So you might have this whole plan in your head for what you're going to do. Maybe you're going to stay in on Friday night because you want to save money. But then your friend says, please go to this concert with me. And you say, I don't know, I want to save money. And your friend's like, please, I really want to go. And even though every cell in your body is screaming, no, don't go, stay home. You say yes reluctantly because you just can't say no. I'm telling you, do not be afraid to say no. You're not going to lose the love and respect from anyone if you do what you want. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. Have you ever met somebody that's very firm in their decision making and they have good boundaries and they say no? You respect them more and you like them more. You see them as somebody that you can really look up to and that you can follow. I have a a friend who does this. She literally, she surprises me sometimes. If she just doesn't feel like doing something, she'll be like, nope, I'm not going to do it. She doesn't care what anyone thinks. And sometimes it peeves me off. I'm like, what the heck? Like, you're my go-to girl for this. Like, I thought we were always down to, you know, go get lunch together or something. If she says no, she says no, and nothing can change her mind. And I respect her more for it, even though it annoys me in the moment. I don't die. I don't wither away. It's fine. Say no, don't be afraid to tell people exactly what you want to do and stick to your values, stick to your guns. It's very likable. The other thing to do is to have these difficult conversations with family or friends. So sometimes it's easier to set the tone for your relationship or your behaviors in a separate situation when you aren't put under pressure. For instance, Let's say that your spouse or somebody in your immediate household always keeps junk food around and expects you guys to have daily or weekly movie nights where you just pig out on junk. Well, before that night even comes, you can have a polite and kind situation with uh, situation, uh, a kind and polite conversation with them and say, hey, you know, I love spending time with you. I don't want us to not have movie nights, but right now I'm really struggling with weight loss and all this junk food, it's so tempting to me. I just want you to know that I don't mind if you eat the food or if you have the chocolate snacks, but I'm not going to eat those kinds of things and our movie night grocery store runs or trips to 7-Eleven where we stock up on junk food aren't going to happen. And I just want you to know that ahead of time. 
And if you say something like that, whatever, however you and that specific person talk, you set the boundary, you you set the expectation of what you will do and what you will not do, and there's less chance of you cracking because it happens before that situation happens. So if that person puts up a fit or they try to give you a counter argument, stay strong in your guns and recognize that they are just arguing this because it's uncomfortable for them and it has nothing to do with you. In fact, a lot of times when you have a conversation with someone about how you want to get healthier, kind of forces them to hold a mirror up to themselves and say, ooh, like, what am I doing that's not healthy? Uh, what things do I want to change and just feel resistance towards? So you might actually really help them give that push that they need. And on a similar vein, you might also be surprised by people's responses. I've had this happen a lot where I've had a client t- feel really nervous about telling somebody in their life they aren't going to partake in specific junk food or binge drinking or eating rituals anymore and they're pleasantly surprised by the person's reaction because that person internally has also wanted to get healthier or had some knowing that they want to change how they're eating and they felt too afraid to bring it up to the person who brought it up in the first place so it's kind of funny how that happens I had a client who was so disappointed by telling her work wife, her best friend at work, that she no longer wanted to go eat lunch every single day out of the office because she didn't want to let her down. She didn't want to miss out on their time together. And she brought it up to her and said like, hey, you know, I'm not going to go. I'll go every once in a while, but I really want to bring my healthy lunch. And her friend was like, oh my gosh, I was thinking I wanted to do the same thing. And now they eat healthy lunches together at the office and it's just as enjoyable. And if you have somebody who absolutely will not eat a healthy lunch with you at work, then find new friends or find something else to make that time enjoyable. Whether it's listening to a podcast or eating outside, always look for a solution to make the situation more pleasant. Another really, really good barrier is to schedule your time to honor your values and treat it like an appointment. So let's say you value fitness, but you find yourself always giving in to the temptation of driving past the gym on your way home from work to get home and relax. Well, if you schedule your gym time or you schedule time later in the day or you schedule your relaxation time, then you are more likely to abide by that boundary because it's already scheduled and you know, hey, I have time to relax after I do a 30 minute workout. Same thing goes with eating. I have a lot of clients who are super busy with their jobs and they find they, they find it hard to turn off the computer or shut down the email or flip over their phone so they're not answering texts to just eat a healthy lunch. And as soon as they look at the clock, it's 4 p.m., they haven't eaten since 8 a.m., and they are starving and eat a bunch of junk food. So scheduling your healthy lunch time or eating time, hydration time, snack time, gym time, meal prep time, whatever it is that you tend to brush past and treating it like an appointment can help you create boundaries. And the final boundary I want to mention is to ask for support. Um, I know that sounds a little bit weird, but if you ask someone to help you put up a boundary and abide by that boundary, it can be really helpful. I mean, that's what we do with our daily accountability program. So if you are looking for professional support, you need someone to help you really solidify these boundaries, I encourage you to apply to our daily accountability program. 
We help our clients not only figure out a plan to stay healthy and reach their weight loss, health goals, lab goals, medical goals, using nutrition, but then we also hold you accountable to those goals in 30-day cycles, and that's a virtual program. I'll go ahead and link the link to apply for our daily accountability program in the show notes, and you can also visit our website, which is linked orlandodietitian.com. Check out that services page. We have all the applications and options there. So don't be afraid to talk to people for support, whether it's personal or professional people in your life. There's no shame and it's only gonna help you live in accordance to your values and get to where you wanna be. So guys, those are the three biggest tools to helping you overcome instant gratification. I think if there's one big thing to pull from this episode, it's that making changes is hard and it's supposed to be hard. Some things come easier than others some things are really, really, really hard. And that's okay. I think the hard things are what make life worth living. I think part of the human experience is going through challenges and embracing change and pushing ourselves. It really brings a lot of fulfillment when you go out there and you do hard things. I also want to add that you're not perfect and you're not supposed to be perfect. And you don't have to be like David Goggins or whoever, Jocko Willink, who really, really push themselves to extremes all the time. Meet yourself where you are and just push it another 10%. You don't have to be a Navy SEAL to be awesome. You don't have to be doing crazy shit every single day. Just do some hard things that really, really challenge you and see how those tiny things make your life better. Really, really soak up those moments when you make a hard decision and follow through with your goals. For instance, if you say that you're gonna get up at 6 a.m., and you get up at 6 a.m., give yourself a freaking pat on the back and be like, hell yeah, like I'm out of bed and it's 6 a.m. Like that feels really good. And notice how much better that feels after the fact instead of hitting snooze eight times. Yeah, it feels good to hit snooze eight times until you wake up and you're like, crap, an hour and a half of my day is gone. So really, really, really give yourself some congratulations when you do the hard thing. Okay, guys, that's it for me today. I'll catch you on the next episode. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Nutrition Awareness Podcast. And if you did find it helpful and want to share it with the whole world, screenshot this episode and tag us on Instagram in your stories at nutrition.awareness so we can connect with you. To get notified about the next episode of Nutrition Awareness, be sure to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And to create your own personalized nutrition plan with us, be sure to schedule your virtual or in-person consultation on our website, www.orlandodietitian.com. Now get out there, fuel up, and live your healthiest life. We'll see you on the next episode.